Hello and welcome back to the Happy Dog Podcast. So to continue our mini series today, we're going to talk all about myths that continually surround separation anxiety and the treatment, ways you should deal with it, everything. Um, This one's going to get a little bit sciencey, but hopefully not too sciencey. But I really want you to understand why certain myths we really need to get rid of them oh my goodness they need to go so by understanding kind of the background behind those hopefully that will help you to um dispel these myths with me so let's dive right in a lot is um puppy owners who are told that puppies will grow out of separation anxiety so last week we discussed about um what behaviors we see in separation anxiety so a lot of those behaviors are behaviors that reunite the group reunite the family and uh they work because we always go back so the dog's going to vocalise to bring us back together. And at some point, somebody is going to go back into the house. So they're not going to grow out of it. If anything, the behaviours are going to be strengthened. Um, but it's also nothing to do with the dog's age. It's if a puppy is left and they are distressed, they're not going to learn to feel safe when they're home alone. And so they can't make a positive association with being left. And we're getting into, again, a vicious cycle. The dog displays anxiety behaviours and we come back and then we go again and the same thing happens. So they're not going to grow out of it because it's not a behaviour that is related to the dog's age. It's not like not sleeping through the night. That's more likely to be a behaviour that a puppy will grow out of because we'll start walking them more, they'll have more interactions throughout the day, they will be tireder, they will learn to sleep throughout the night. That's a behaviour that they might grow out of. Unfortunately, separation anxiety is not one of them. Just crate train the dog. If they can't cope out of the crate, stick them in a crate. That'll fix it. So appropriate crate training, I am a fan of. Crate training because a dog's not coping outside of a crate, I am not a fan of. I am a big fan of teaching dogs to be okay when they're home alone. And generally, that does not mean putting them into a small crate where they're going to feel more trapped and potentially feel more worried. So I rarely, if ever, advise using a crate when we've got a dog who is distressed when they are home alone often the crate will make the owner feel better about leaving the dog because they can't be destructive they can't toilet all over the house they can't do this they can't do that because they're much more contained but for it to have any use we have to spend a lot of time getting the dog to absolutely love their crate before we can even look at doing separation anxiety training on top of that 
the way I work with dogs with separation anxiety is that they are never getting to the point of being distressed. And because they're never getting to the point of being distressed, they can be left anywhere because they're not going to do anything. Generally, the more space that a dog has when they're left, the happier they are. If they can see out of a window, they're generally going to be happier. So sometimes making them feel more trapped in the crate exacerbates those problems. Um, and I think in some cases it can do a lot of damage because the dog will try and escape the crate and that really does cause problems. Um, this does not necessarily just relate to separation anxiety. This goes global <laughs> with dogs and it's the guilty look. Oh, they know that they shouldn't have been barking when I was gone because they look guilty when I got back. They know they shouldn't have toileted on the floor when I was out because they looked guilty when I got back. The classic, oh, the classic guilty look um, with a dog, uh, ears back, uh, ducked head, big eyes, um, generally looking really worried, is an appeasement gesture. And it's a learned behaviour based on previous experience. So if you've come home and there's been wee or poo on the floor and you go, bad dog, that's really naughty, maybe tap them on the nose, rah, 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 shout, 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 mean, mean, mean. The next time in that situation, there's we on the floor and you come home, the dog's making that association. Oh, no, they're going to shout at me again. And then they instantly duck, ears go back and down um, and they look guilty. These appeasement gestures are behaviours that dogs will display to say, please don't hurt me. I'm no threat to you. Please, I don't want, please, I'm scared. That's, that's not the dog being guilty. That's the dog saying, please don't shout at me. So... It's probably the one we see a lot with a dog who toilets in the house frequently, especially if they're not there or even if they are, if the owner is there. And it is literally the dog saying, oh, no, I can smell wee. The own, my owner is home. They're going to shout at me. And that combination of prior learning, you probably didn't see it the first time because they've had no prior experience. They just had a wee. Oh, well, never mind. Needed a wee. Went for a wee. Um, that prior experience then, then causes them to, to display this appeasement gesture of, please don't hit me, I'm really sorry. Didn't mean it. But they're not guilty. They don't have that processing ability in their brain. They just know in that situation they get, get told off. So be really careful about assigning that guilty look um, from a human point of view onto our dogs because it, it very rarely... Um, means anything other than prior learning experience. Okay, so the big one I want to discuss today, which is the, the, the biggest problem one I see of all of the separation anxiety myths are just let them cry out. Like just let them bark, let them scream, let them cry out and they'll just learn. I hear it all the time. I heard it the other week at socialization class and it drives me mad because if your dog is vocalising and it's not because of distress, then potentially they, they will learn that barking isn't effective. But if that myth gets told to somebody's dog who is very anxious, that's going to make the behaviour or make the dog more anxious and make the behaviour not just disappear. So I want to get into this in detail. So get comfy, pause this, go make a cuppa. It is time for the sciencey bit. What was, what was that slogan that you saying? It's time for the science bit, concentrate. It's that. 
and um, I'm not going to get really not going to get really sciencey, but I do feel like this is something that comes around and around and around over and over again. And obviously, when if you've had a child, uh, a human child rather than a canine child, you will have heard this too. And I didn't agree with it on a human point of view, and I don't agree with it on a dog point of view. I don't let any animal cry out, human or otherwise. It's not a healthy behaviour. Um, and there are still plenty of parenting books around that say she cry it out. I remember another mum that I was friends with when I was a baby who did the crying out method. Her child used to vomit. It cried so badly. Just let that sit for a second. Um, it's, it's not a method that I chose um, or would choose in the future. Okay. So it has been found that dogs possess the brain areas which allow them to feel emotions. They are sentient beings. They can feel happy. They can feel sad. They can feel anxious. They have emotions. That, for a really long time, was disputed, that they did not have emotions. Now, if you have lived with a dog for any period of time in your life, it is obvious that they have emotions. They are happy. They are joyous. They are sad. They are not happy. They might not have the complex emotions that you and I have, the kind of the really like jealousy um, or um, depressed, like a depressed effect, that kind of thing. But they definitely feel emotions. To what extent we're still investigating? But let's just say that they can feel a, a wide range of emotions. And the implication that that piece of research has, has far, far reaching um, implications in like the way we train the dogs, in welfare of dogs, and with the laws surrounding dogs as well, which I think, if it hasn't already, is still going through Parliament that they are sentient beings. So old school advice was very much centred around letting dogs just cry it out and only going back to the dog when they are quiet. And the message was always that we do not want to be controlled by our dogs and we do not want them to learn that this behaviour works. But contrary to this, dogs are not trying to control us with this behaviour. They've not sat down with a pen and paper and come up with this master plan of, well, if I just bark, she'll come back. And I'll just keep barking because it's fun. And if I can control it with this, then I control it with any part of my behaviour. They just want their basic needs met. And because they can feel emotions, they have every right to have their basic needs met and to vocalise if this is not the case. And if one of those basic needs is that they are unable to cope when they are on their own, then we have to respect that. You took on the dog. It is part of the deal. If they need their basic needs met and all of their basic needs will be, although similar, different for each individual dog, this is part of the deal that we had when we decided to take on a dog. I always say that no dog chose to live with us. We are always the ones that choose to take on the dogs. And so therefore we have to meet all of the needs that that individual dog has. So it must be so frightening for a dog that they are like, completely brought to a new place let's put all of their trust in a new person that they've not really ever met before maybe a couple of times but nothing nothing crazy 
And then you think, oh, the dog thinks I can't cope on my own. So I'll vocalise and then you're just ignored. Just ignored. Like that's how that makes me want to weep. So let's think about from our point of view. What needs do we have that maybe don't get met? And what happens when they're not met? Are we okay with that? Are we not okay with that? Do we vocalise that? Do we talk to people about it? Do we speak up? Do we shout? Do we yell? Do we cry? Then if that got ignored, how would we feel about that? What would that, like, what would the knock-on effect of that be? What would you feel then? How would you deal with that? So if we have emotions and dogs have emotions, and we don't like it when our basic needs have been met and we feel frustrated and upset and sad, then what are our dogs experiencing? So from the research I've looked at, the cry out methodology goes back to the 1880s, which is a significant period of time. And I just think, imagine if schooling hadn't moved on much since then and we were still using the cane and whatever else barbaric um, schooling techniques were used in the Victorian era that were then used today. What, what does that say about society? One of my sayings is, and I use this when I come up against people who use balanced dog training techniques is, now we know better, we should do better. We know better now. We know that these old school techniques are not good for the health and welfare of our dogs long-term. Long-term stress is problematic. We need to move away from training and behavior techniques that exacerbate this stress in our dogs. So sometimes what happens is it gets passed on from generation to generation. So, um, you know, parents would have said, well, in, in my day, we just let them cry it out and they were fine. We didn't have separation anxiety and it wasn't a thing. But I do wonder, like, is this advice the reason that we have a lot of separation anxiety now that dogs were ignored? They had pups. They, the mum was stressed when they were pregnant. Then we have dogs who are more inclined to be stressed or anxious. And so when they're left, they don't cope and is this the reason that we're seeing a higher amount of separation anxiety now than we did before quite frankly letting any animal cry out is very stressful for an individual and by allowing this long high amounts of stress we can create real long-lasting permanent damage for our dogs so let's talk more about stress because it's really important to understand what we are doing and, and what's happening when they're crying. So I 100% some stress is good stress, you stress. That is good stress. That motivates us. It um, activates the seeking systems in, in, in the brain. We do need some good stress, that kind of stress you feel when you're approaching a deadline and you get stuff done. Like there is good stress and that's absolutely fine. But what we're really talking about is the, the negative stress that we can control, that we can do stuff about, that we can like fix. We also have to create a really solid foundation in our dogs so that they are able to process and deal with stress. And 
and become resilient against it. And if we are teaching them at an early age that they're going to cry out when that's going to be ignored, that is not creating that solid foundation. And that is going to become a problem. So if something is motivating uh, or problem allows us to solve a problem and it's within the capabilities of the animal, so it's not too difficult, but it's not too easy, then that will lead to an increase in dopamine. And the dopamine is the neurotransmitter in the brain that works on the reward centers. Um, it's the one that motivates us. Dopamine is super important in dog training. It's one of the things that we we want to like elevate dopamine. It's super good. It's the it's the reward centers. It's the seeking centers. It's all the good stuff. So if the task is too difficult and the seeking behavior increases and the, the animal doesn't get anywhere, it doesn't solve the problem, then that becomes stressful. And dopamine isn't released in that situation. Instead, cortisol is released. And cortisol is the stress um, neurotransmitter in the brain. So too much cortisol is not good for learning. It's not good for our immune systems. It's not good for behavioral responses. It's not good for our health. So we do want training to be interesting and engaging, but it has to be achievable. So when we set up our dogs to be left on their own, they have to be able to succeed in the duration that they are being left for. Hormones also circulate during stress, inhibit learning, um, and they also um, don't allow the brain to form the proteins that are needed for that learning to occur. So what we have to be really careful of is allowing our dogs to feel some stress so that dopamine's released and that that then helps us to um, challenge the dog in a really positive way but not tipping that over and that's why we will constantly be watching and monitoring where the dog is at with their training and where they're able to cope what we don't want is to um, use outdated methodology to teach dogs that they should just be able to cope in situations we want to promote independence and problem solving to keep the animal driven and seeking using that part of the brain, but not tipping it over. So I know I've said that a few times, but it's so important. We want the dog to learn that they have control over their environment to a certain degree and that they are able to um, use their own choices to reduce their stress. By ignoring vocalizations or other stress signs for significant periods of time, it is not going to allow the dog to be in that state and they are, it is just not going to work long term. So leaving an animal to cry it out will make them less healthy, more difficult to manage, generally anxious and potentially more fearful in a number of different situations. If they then go on to have a pup, these traits may then be passed on to the pups. And so we are constantly keeping this in our genetic pool of dogs. And that is potentially why we're having more dogs with separation anxiety. So teaching dogs that they have to just cope is really coming back to bite us in the bum. By forcing independence, we're going to create the opposite and we're going to create dependence upon us. And 
actually a lot of studies more recently have shown that actually giving dogs what they need giving them the uh, basic uh, requirements that they need whether that is that they need you to be there that they have food and water available on a consistent basis that they're able to socialize or not socialize with conspecifics all of those things actually leads to a greater independence greater exploration and more confidence when they're left so by giving dogs everything the chances are that they're going to be much more content when they're left alone which is amazing so we can and that's why i i always say like we should be sleeping with our dogs when we bring them back the number one thing you do when you bring a puppy home is you make them feel safe and secure and you make them feel like everything they ever need is going to be given to them. By teaching a dog that their needs are not going to be met, then we're, they're going to be unhappy. They could be aggressive. They could demand a lot. Um, and they are going to be more vocal when their needs are not met. And this can stay with them then for the rest of their lives. What we need to be doing is getting in before the stress occurs. We're not waiting for the crying to happen and then reacting to it. We are trying to prevent the crying happening at all at any time. And that's why early days of owning your puppy are really important. We need to make sure that they don't have to use crying and barking to control their environment because everything they ever needed was there being met constantly. And then we can start to build up some duration with that we don't want to teach the dogs from an early age stuff that we're going to regret later on like and this is one of those things I don't want dogs to learn they have to bark for my attention I want them to be able to get my attention easily and freely so what can we get the dog to do instead we want them to relax we want to teach them that they're okay that they can be relaxed when they're on their own we can break down the environment. We can break down what they need to do from a young age. That is why we don't let puppies cry it out. We want to teach the dogs to be calm and happy and confident that they can be left in an environment and then they can go to sleep. By working with them in the early days, teaching them all of these things, then we can show compassion to our dogs and that's the whole point isn't it so I hope that really helps you understand why we do not do crying it out for babies of any species um obviously dogs are more my specialist subject than uh, human babies and so another myth is just leave them with a toy just leave them with a toy whilst uh, you're not there and then they'll be fine a lot of dogs will quite happily munch their way through a Kong or a Chew or whatever it is that you've left them with. And it can be a bit of a crutch and it can give us a false reading. So potentially they're not stressed enough that they can't eat. So they're eating. Um, but what happens when they finish eating? So let's say you go to the supermarket. You think, oh, that Kong will last them 45 minutes. And the supermarket's manic and it takes you an hour. What happens in that last 15 minutes? Or maybe they, they eat the Kong quicker than you expected. What happens then? What happens when they finish? Do they freak out? Are they panicking? Are they barking? Do they just go to sleep? It doesn't, it doesn't help us because it's just masking the problem. What if you wanted to go out for four hours? You're just going to feed them constantly for four hours? It's not, it's not going to work. 
It can also create an adverse departure queue or what I call a poison queue. So they learn that the, the uh, production of a Kong means that you're going to go and it can actually cause more stress. Um, one of the myths I hate is that the owner caused separation anxiety. I discussed that in the last episode. No one causes separation anxiety and no one intentionally causes separation anxiety at all. It's always going to be a mix of genetics, early experience and the environment. People get told that they've spoiled their dog. Um, and I, I think what I've just said when I've gone into that all about why we don't let them cry out, it's actually... Uh, Spoiled dogs are the ones who are going to be most confident and most um, able to deal with their situations and their environment. They're going to have a lot more confidence. And why would you get a dog if you're if you can't spoil them? And I don't mean spoil them by giving them every toy under the sun or giving them every harness, every lead that comes out. I mean, just by giving them those basic needs, making sure that they're met to a really high level, making sure that they're walked loads, making sure that they have, you know, they can sit on the sofa with you or they can get into bed for snuggles or that they're fed um, a lot of treats on walks and lots of rewards and they have chews. And it doesn't have to be excessive spoiling of the dog. It is just making sure that their needs are met, but maybe and a bit more. And then one of my favourite myths, uh, is that because you let the dog sleep on the bed, that's why they've got separation anxiety. Uh, I'm going to let you into a secret. My dogs go on the bed. Um, Millie would sleep on the bed um, if she if there was enough room. But it, it's not. And sometimes it's the best for the whole family. It's not going to make any difference. And if anything, it's going to make them feel safe and secure. And that's never going to cause any problems. So hopefully I've dispelled some myths there. I can go into the stress response and the neuro side of that in a lot more detail. Um, again, I'm going to put up a Q&A on my Instagram, which is pooches.galore. So if you want to know more about how the stress response occurs in the brain, I'm more than happy to go into it. I just sometimes feel, especially on a podcast, a lot of technical terms can be um, get a bit lost almost because you, you're not watching, you're not seeing. So I was I was cautious about giving you too many brain names and systems and axes and all of those so happy to go into it if people want more detail you might be like no that was that was fine that was enough thanks Kim got it we're not going to let them cry out we've moved on um but just any questions that you've got that come out so or any of the myths that you've heard of from anyone along the way um, pop them on the Q&A and I will go through them in loads of detail when all of this mini series is out. So hope you've enjoyed. Please do rate and review us on wherever you get your podcast from uh, because that really does help uh, on the ratings and more people will find us. Um, and yeah, next on the next episode, um, we're going to talk about common training mistakes that I see when people are trying their best to help separation anxiety um, and why we don't particularly want to use those techniques um, with the vast majority of dogs. So I hope you'll join me then. <laughs>